You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to David's Pick on America's Web Radio. We're glad to have you listening in. And we've got a great veteran guest on. And uh, we'll be with him in just a minute. The first thing we're going to do is what we always do uh, these days. And that is that... uh, We're going to take a moment uh, to just all of us think about the veterans and the folks that have given their ultimate sacrifice and uh, pray for our country, as a matter of fact, too, as we're going through some times that some folks are totally aware of, and I don't think other folks even know what's happening to us right now. But we need to pay for, pray for our democracy and our country and that we can have strong leadership. So right now, we will uh, take a moment, and then we'll be back. And before we get started with our special guest, Marshall, Mr. Marshall Huckabee, we will uh, do our other favorite thing, and that's a, a, a sort of a wake-up call for all of us. We'll be back. And so let's get going. what some of us are, old men. But it's better than the alternative, I reckon. So, with that being said, I want to welcome Marshall Huckabee back to America's Web Radio. And uh, he was on uh, back in, uh, oh, let's see, when was it? Back in July. Four months, I think. Yeah. So, we're glad to have you back, Marshall. And... uh, just a little bit of history, Marshall. Um, uh, uh, let's say October of uh, 2019. So it's been a long time, uh, right? 
Uh, anyway, um, Marshall is, it's, I should say, first sergeant, retired. Uh, and Marshall did four tours of duty in Vietnam. And prior to that, and I was going to ask you, uh, what, what ship were you on during the Cuban blockade? Uh, I was on the USS Dodge County, which is named after counties in Wisconsin, Georgia, and Kansas. Okay, my uh, brother-in-law was on the, uh, I don't even, I'm not real familiar with the Navy at all, but uh, whoever the commander's ship was, whatever that was. Right. During the blockade. Might have been the Mount Whitney, that was one of their command ships. Uh, Anyway, he was the uh, commander's uh, photographer, for whatever that's not worth. (laughs) But uh, he did serve uh, during the blockade. And then uh, you switched over. You you wised up and got out of all that water and went to uh, the Army. Went to a whole bunch of land. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, I've never been a big... uh, sea lover never gone on a cruise because if i can't drink my way out of it i don't want to try to stand on it you know <laughs> good point and uh you did four tours in vietnam yes sir were they uh all in different places or uh well it was different units uh, you know basically when you leave and take a stateside or overseas assignment when you go back you usually go back to a different unit yeah uh, depending on the vacancy and uh, what was your MOS? Uh, well, my primary MOS was uh, communications, but my duty MOS was secondary was infantry, so that's usually, that's what I've always go back to. 11 Bravo, huh? Yeah, well, I ended up being 11 Foxtrot, which is uh, Operations Intelligence. Yes, sir. And uh, you you did a lot of recon in, in uh, Vietnam. Yes, sir. Yes, we're the... We're the Long Range Reconnaissance Patrol. In fact, this week I'm down reunion with a whole bunch of Vietnam uh, LERPs. Just, you know, I, I hate to come back to uh, Cuba, but we we just had a uh, Cuban doctor on. And uh, what's going on in Cuba right now, nobody knows where it's going to go. And uh, at the same time, what we were talking about was that the United States is going through the same thing that Cuba went through in uh, 1959 as they changed over from more or less capitalist to uh, socialism and then to communism. And uh, the U.S. is pushing towards a more socialistic country and that's the first step towards communism, in my opinion, and many other people's opinions. And uh, what 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 is your opinion about what's going on in uh, Cuba right now? Well, I'm, I'm afraid of what's happening is uh, people were blindly led toward a, a better future with, a, I guess, a misinformation. I won't say false information, but misinformation and that's what I see happening now. People hear what they want to hear and don't want to see what they don't want to see, and it could be both uh, ill hidings for us. You know, I 
I I was only uh, a kid when all of the Cuban Missile Crisis and all this, but um, I'm I'm not sure we should intervene. Yeah, it uh, you know at, at that time uh, there's a lot of anxiety about you know Cuba being just uh, not many miles away and the uh, uh, anti-American forces going in there and there was a lot more uh, I guess uh, opinions toward aiding them as a means of preventing us from being endangered and uh, we've just intervened all over the world and it just when we back out it just kind of goes back to where it was before and we lose a lot of resources and good lives doing it I agree, and you know, <laughs> it's sort of a joke now that uh, oh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and uh, they're only ninety miles away, and they can launch missiles. To well, what they've got now, both China and Russia, they they don't they don't need Cuba. <laughs> oh they, no, they do it from boats. Oh yeah, between the between the subs and even yeah. what they've got land based, they can reach the United States. And oh, heck, you can almost, almost throw a rock now. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I said you can almost throw a rock that far. Yep. And, uh, you know, so it's it's really not a a thing. And this doctor that was on, he was, he's a cardiologist that uh, was had his training in Cuba and then moved to the United States and is with uh, another group now and is practicing medicine. And uh, like he said, you know, the, as he was growing up in Cuba, he was indoctrinated into how bad America was. And, you know, the, the, the only way a country can do well is, is through socialism and everybody doing their thing. And then it turned from socialism into communism. And, uh, you know, that it's... The government of Cuba rules everything, and uh, you have basically no rights there. You have, you know, it's just the medical system there has collapsed, and that's why, like Canada and like many other countries, come to the U.S. for medical care as opposed to uh, staying in their own country. But anyway, let's get back to uh, Marshall and... uh, what was your uh, first impression of Vietnam, when, other than hot, when you got off the plane? I guess confusion. You know, uh, when I first went over in 66, there wasn't a lot in the news about Vietnam. We knew somewhat about it, but it, it wasn't didn't have the, the 5 o'clock followers like they had later on. So very few of us knew anything about it. And, uh, you know, we just lived one day at the time, did what you were told, and went where you were supposed to go, and... And you didn't get really get the big picture until you came home after your first tour and saw the news and kind of had an understanding of what's going on. So usually the first tour, you're just uh, centered on what's happening today and you know, what are we going to have for supper and what time do we eat. That's, that's kind of a day-by-day <laughs> life. And the most important part of it was what time do we eat. That's exactly. <laughs> and uh, where. What part of Nam were you in initially? Uh, the first part I was in Coochie, which is a 
northeast of Saigon that uh, borders on what was called the Iron Triangle. And uh, we went in. It was uh, just a big, giant open field. It had been a, a French peanut field. And they went in just a, a big, use a trenching, uh, entrenching machine and dug a big pit all the way around the post. And that's the base. And we turned that into a fighting base. Hmm. So... You know, uh, so you'd you'd take your missions from the base and go out whatever direction you were supposed to go, correct? Right. And what we did after I became in reconnaissance, uh, they would have targets that they were interested in or didn't know about, and uh, uh, they would, would 99% of the time, we went by a helicopter and five-man teams, and we would drop in and uh, stay out four or five days. And, uh, sometimes you'd only stay up there a couple hours she landed and got at the hot landing zone they had to try to come get you back out so now, you just sit there and kind of do nothing and watch and listen our job wasn't to fight but to listen because five guys can't do a lot <laughs> no uh so did you work in conjunction with at all with some of the tomahawk pilots oh yeah yeah uh you know those guys i mean if I've ever wanted to kiss a man in the mouth, that would be a pilot. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those guys were, when I say guys, uh, a lot of them were just 18, 19-year-old warrant officers. But they did their jobs, and they did it well. And if they put you in, they would get you out. Well, you know, we always, two things, or a number of things that we try to do each and every week on the show is that I have the highest regard and respect for the dust-off pilots. Oh, man. I don't know whether they have that much guts and no brains or if they just, they're that dedicated that uh, every mission they went on, they were risking their life, basically. You know, and and you're quite right. uh, uh, A support um, to a gunship or a slick coming, carrying supplies, their job is to deliver it, and come back and get another load. The dust-off pilot is to get that load. That's his primary mission, to get that load, that man, those those men, and they'll do it. They'll stay there, and many a good pilot was lost doing that, but that was their job, and that's going to say we do it. They were incredible. And, uh, as, you know... There were a lot of incredible missions and a lot of incredible people, and I don't want to don't want to uh, lighten the load. Not not in a lot of the dust off pilots were fantastic, but then in many cases, a nurse would jump on the dust off as well and do as much oh, yeah. as she could on the way back to the triage center, and um, the nurses that served, just everybody that served in Nam. Uh, just as as we call it the greatest generation for World War II, uh, someday I think, well, let me back up. I think anybody that served is great. And uh, I, get, I literally get sick at thinking about the fact that only 1% of our population ever serves. And that's just deplorable. It's terrible. And uh, I have all the respect in the world for uh, the ones that served in Nam, the ones that have served now in Desert Shield and Desert Storm, 
And that's why we do the number of veteran shows that we do on the station, because we want people to remember them. And if you didn't serve, then, you know, at least respect those that have. And, you know, when a, when a, we, 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 we say this often is follow the money. And when the money issue comes up in Congress for our veterans, for our military, follow the money and be sure you respond to your representative and senators that you want the veterans taken care of and you want the U.S. to have the best military going. And at this point, I'd like to salute our submarine task force that's protecting us like we don't know on the west coast and the gulf and the east coast and uh, they do a tremendous job so oh let me ask you one other thing while i'm thinking about it and i'm sure i asked you this before marshall but uh you've had time to think about it have you come up with that one veteran that you know that can tell only one story I don't. I don't know who they'll be because <laughs> when they when they start, they're just everything ties in and one thing triggers another. But, and as I said, I'm down at Fort Benning with a just a tremendous uh, group of veterans, and I listen to them talking. You think, man, I'm glad I wasn't there. <laughs> but you know, every story is important. Uh, I went to the Ranger Hall of Fame and yesterday, and. Some of the inductees were represented by their widows, and their stories are just tremendous. And you wonder, you know, where do we get such people? And boy, I'm glad we got them on our side. Oh, yeah. We have the greatest country in the world, and we better be prepared and not lose it. And we can't lose it to I, the left. I, uh, I'm just now sitting in the parking lot. Of, uh, my nephew just graduated from... Uh, infantry advanced training and I had the opportunity to present them as infantry cord and I just saw a whole, comp- whole company of young great Americans who uh, volunteered and nobody got drafted they're here doing so they're, we have a good future it's going to be tough for them but every one of them just young clean cut and volunteered to be here just you know just made you feel proud oh yeah that's beautiful I'm glad you added that and, and told that that's that's super and um they are our future, and you know they're they're going to be marching through a lot of uh, left wing garbage, but they will they will overcome and they will be the ones that that lead our country, and not these people that want to destroy our country. Uh, One thing, uh, their motto, their battalion uh, motto is "Find a way or make one." And that's what they're going to have to do. Yes, sir. Find a way or make one. That's, I like that. I like that. Okay, so uh, you were you were in the infantry in Nam, and uh, what did you think? And I've never asked anybody this, but I fired both the sixteen. That's what I trained on, and uh, and the AK forty seven. So, and they have distinct sounds. 
How would you compare the two weapons? Uh, you know, uh, well, my favorite, of course, would have been the M14. That's what I first had. But uh, the That was a heavy was, sucker. It was, but, but when you shot somebody, they stayed shot. <laughs> <laughs> and you could reach out, but jungle environment wasn't good, but when you had a, an opening, it was good. But uh, a lot of people said they'd rather have the AK because it's so durable. And I fired both of them, and, you know, uh, I get. I would still like. I would still like the M16. The only thing I didn't like was the fact it had that a plastic or bakelite stock, and if it got hit by a round or a fiberglass, it came apart. So that, I mean, that was shrapnel in itself. Oh yeah. But hmm. I'd use the AK. It was a little heavier, uh, but it was dependable. But you kept your M16 clean. It was too. And once they got the. Uh flash suppressor with a ring around it where it wouldn't get hung up in bushes. Oh, yeah. That other one hung into everything. But, you know, uh, we, uh, as a country, and, and this is what's made us great, I think, is that we, one, we're very innovative, and then if we have a problem, we solve it. And, uh, you know, this is something that... Uh, I think has made us the greatest country in the world. You know, what I did is I was, and I do this on occasion, more than on occasion, unfortunately, but I uh, have a tendency to talk through breaks, so I'm going to line up a couple of spots right quick, and uh, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with Marshall Huckabee right after a couple of words from our sponsors. Hi, this is Rocky Blair former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. Hello, my name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, then the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised your right hand and joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmbhof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. And we're speaking with a member of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, First Sergeant Retired Marshall Huckabee, and you were inducted into the uh, Hall of Fame in 2018, I believe, correct? Uh, yes, 2018. Uh, as I was thinking about it, you know, we're talking about veterans and veterans continuing to serve. Uh, a recent inductee, uh, retired Colonel Shane Kimbrough, continues to serve. He's the commander of the International Space Station as we speak, so as we speak, he's 
zooming overhead, still serving his country, and he's recently inducted into the Hall of Fame. You know, I wasn't uh, I wasn't aware of that, and and and, uh, and so they still serve. Uh, you mentioned the Hall of Fame. I'd like to give a plug. Uh, we've got so many of our friends and neighbors who are worthy of recognition that they never get. A way their families and friends can do that is nominate them for the Hall of Fame. Uh, and they'll be considered um, based on the service or valor or their achievements. And let's recognize our friends and neighbors. They deserve it. You took the, well, you didn't take the words out of my mouth. You <laughs> you more eloquently put it than, than I would have. And I agree with you. And, you know, another thing that we say, and, and I'll give this to you as well, is that Our veterans today are our history books. And if you're a veteran and I don't care how or when or what you served, but if you're a veteran and you've got kids or you've got grandkids, put them up on your knee or sit across the table from them and tell them what you did and tell them the truth about what you did and the truth about our country and how great it is. And, you know, our history books have turned into a, a joke. And if there's any one good thing that has come out of the pandemic, and we talked about this earlier today, is the fact that parents finally have seen what their kids are being taught in public schools out of history books that give World War II three pages. Uh, barely, in many cases, barely a mention of Vietnam, or and certainly probably no no mention at all of uh, of uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm. So please, please pay attention. And if you're a veteran, get those grandkids up on your knees and talk about how great our country is. And you know, it, it, it's like they're never they don't even have flags in classrooms anymore. And you know that's. That's what a veteran went to defend, our Constitution and our flag. And kids should know about it, and if they're not getting in it in school, then it's your obligation as a parent or grandparent to tell them what you did and let them know how great our country is. Because our schools are, and the communists have infiltrated our campuses, be it elementary to college, and um, tell us how terrible and tell the students how terrible our country is. And we know, as veterans, we know that our country is the greatest country in the world. And you hear the and, stories from Cubans so forth. Excuse me. Yeah, and you're right, John. And, and uh, you know, it's a habit of getting your kids up, feed them breakfast, and send them off to school, and bring them in, feed them supper, put them in bed, and send them off to school the next day. Well, those eight hours that you don't have them are the eight hours that molds their lives and, and uh, forms their thoughts. If you don't have some input into that, you're letting other people mold the future of your family. And you've got to be involved and see what they're saying. You don't have to fight everything a teacher says you don't agree with them. But if it's counter to our culture and the well-being of the country, tell your kids, talk to them. Let them know there's another side. There's nothing wrong with being a family absolutely not uh, you know 
Unfortunately, we used to call it, you'd send them to school and they were being taught. Now, in unfortunate many cases, now they are being indoctrinated. And, That's uh, right. <laughs> there's a big difference between teaching and indoctrinating. And we don't want, I don't want a communist country. I want freedom. And the only way, you know, you took a great responsibility on when you became a parent. So I'm pleading with everybody that listens that are parents and are now grandparents to take that responsibility to heart and talk to your kids. And that's the only way we're going to save this country, I believe, is talk to your kids. And I was yeah, proud some, to hear what... People say, some people say sometimes it has to be tough love, but at least it's got to be love. Yes, sir. I mean, you've got, you've got to be a family. Well, you know, what you were saying about what you saw with the young folks, uh, you know, I couldn't be prouder of my young son that's uh, a major in the Air Force, and this was all his decision. Uh, he decided to go to Texas A&M. He decided to join the, the Corps. He went through ROTC, and now I'm just, I, I couldn't say how proud I am of him being a major in the Air Force. And um, this is, you know, we we didn't indoctrinate him as he was growing up. It was all his choice. But he knew I was a veteran, and, uh, you know, we, uh, we're just very proud of him. And, you know, I, uh, everybody, every family should take it on to teach their kids about our flag and what our flag meant and, or what it means, and what others have sacrificed over the years to keep us free. And we, yeah, just, and, and it's good that the young kids or young folk or adults, young adults are uh, stepping forward. Uh, it meant a lot to me in February when my nephew, who just graduated today, called me and he said, "Uncle Marshall, you would be the first to know I just joined up." I said, "That's great, Bradley." And, and then he called a few weeks ago and said. Tell me when he's graduating. So I'd like you to be there when I graduate. I said I'll do it. So at least somewhere out there, somebody's giving seeds of, of thought, I guess. Yes, sir. And you know, it's it's a different military from what it used to be. And oh yes, it's it's not just quote unquote military, but I've said this over and over again. No matter what your interests are, some branch of the military has a program for you, and it's not. And it's not just quote unquote military. They they have turned the military into a business in many ways. The military is very competitive with civilian jobs, and are will train you for when you get out, and you will get. You know, you will be at the head of the list if you can say, I serve my country, and people respect that. It's it's far well, cry they from... Know, they, know, they know you're dependable, you'll be there when you, you'll be there, and, uh, you know, most cases, uh, if you say you'll do something, you'll do it. And, and you formed a degree of leadership, no matter whether you were a, a first sergeant or a sergeant or a major or whatever... Uh, you you know leadership. 
Let me ask you something, Marshall. What? what and I'm I'm so glad that his it has changed from when you came home from Nam. If I were guessing, you were probably ordered not to wear your uniform through the airports. That's right. And uh, I know when I came from uh, active duty, we were ordered not to wear. This was during Vietnam, and we were ordered not to wear our uniforms through the airport. And, uh, you know, it just, I'm, I'm so thankful it has changed. And by the way, a lot of that change we owe to Vietnam veterans that have taken the bull by the horns, and they meet people at the airport. It's almost like a occupation with them, and part of it's USO, and part of it's just different uh, veterans groups that uh, are there when our troops come back from wherever they've been deployed, whether it's Iraq or Afghanistan or whatever. You know, some years ago, uh, right, your desert storm was getting heat up, or Iraq was going on, and my wife and I were at the Atlanta airport, and way down some other concourse, we heard this cheering and clapping, and we didn't know what the heck was coming on, and uh, in about three or four minutes, uh, this looked like to me about a half of a company of soldiers came through with their bags headed to another concourse to go somewhere, and people were standing up and clapping and thanking you know, that was really, really meaningful to me and my wife. Oh, yeah, that's and great. The people, and the people did that. The, I mean, it was spontaneous, and that's what we need, spontaneous patriotism, if we're going to make it. That's beautiful, beautiful, Marshall. And, you know, a good time to throw out that if you're at an airport or no matter where you are, if you see a veteran... Or someone in uniform, buy them, a, buy them a meal, buy them a cup of coffee, buy them, you know, and it'll make you feel a lot better than even the person you're doing it for. They will appreciate it, certainly. But, you know, some, sometimes, uh, you know, people think military people, <clears throat> most cases, make a lot of money. Well, that particular serviceman may be between assignments and families one place, he's another. He may only have a few bucks. For his next days, he makes a really good use a cup of coffee. And yep. it's not it's not charity; it's being a good person. You know, uh, and this is this is I like to point this out. And if if people think I'm getting too redundant on these shows, well, by golly, you're more than welcome to send me an email, David at America's Web dot com. But we also. And I, I've been all three at one time or the other. Uh, but I've been a first responder as well. And the same thing goes for them. Buy them a cup of coffee, whatever. And our country, our country is all about being first responders. There's no other country in the world that has given as much to the world as this little bitty island called the United States of America. And when a disaster hits, who's the first that shows up? Who's the first that gives? Who are the first people that give to a cause to help get somebody, some other little country back on their feet? It's always I, I, guess, I guess I never really thought that, but you're right, you know, 
not by job time, but each American is a first responder. And we need to think of exactly what you said. We need to think of ourselves as our first responder, or we're not going to be any response. That's true. That's very true. And, uh, you know, we had a, a POW on not too long ago, and, and uh, you know, he said he as soon as he saw our flag, he knew he was going to be okay. And uh, this was a, a Jewish POW during uh, World War II. And, uh, you know, it, it just... I, I can't think of anything that would spoil my day more or ruin my day more than to walk in a classroom and have some teacher or kids saying how terrible the United States is. We have done more good for this world than any other country or, or any other civilization ever has. And yeah, what? Imagine how it would be if we weren't who we are. Oh, and and it's not just, and and I salute everybody in that it's not just quote end quote our government, but it's also our corporations. Now, you don't want to really get me, sir. I shouldn't get started on that because. <laughs> Some of the corporations today that are anti-American, I can't stand, and we should not uh, not just boycott, just not use them. And they wouldn't be where they are today if it wasn't for the greatest country in the world and capitalism. And yeah, they they seem to forget who they are, where they came from, and who supports them. Yep. We're going through some some times, and like I said, a parent or grandparent needs to talk to their kids, and the veterans have to take the ball and run with it and explain how great we are and what that flag meant and, you know, what it means to have somebody's back, what it means to, you know be a brother and sister in the military and it doesn't stop when you get your honorable discharge it goes on for life and you can tell a veteran and you know you can almost no matter where you go you can almost pick them out of the crowd with ease and you can you can pick those out the same way you can pick out the people that haven't served easily as well and there's just a big difference and all veterans female male are great and uh, by the way I didn't do this but I should thank you for your service Marshall and uh, well, thank you for caring well you were uh, you know, the, everybody serves in their own way, I guess. But So, one thing that uh, you, you've obviously been out of, of NOM a long time. What do, you, what do you keep coming back and... Re oh, I, I want to say one other thing right quick. A lot of Vietnam veteran 
suffers still from PTSD and sleep disorders. Well, there is a product, and and the guy that uh, has the product was a Vietnam veteran, combat veteran. He was a medic, and you can appreciate them, I'm sure, Marshall. And uh, they would go in when nobody else would, or in many cases. But he was a medic. He's a dentist, but he's also a medical doctor now. And um, he has a product that is 99% if you're having sleep disorders from PTSD. And this product is very simple. It's FDA approved and all that kind of stuff. And if you're interested, just contact me, David, at americaswebradio.com, and I'll be glad to, to uh, put Dr. Don in touch with you and uh, set up an appointment to... Uh, you'll have to come into his office and see him, but, uh, you know, the, the product is not expensive, and he works with veterans because he talks your language. And... Uh, He's given, I don't know, (laughs) I tell you what, though, he is probably the only doctor in the world that has, his hobby is collecting uh, military vehicles, and he has a a tank, he has an APC, and three Jeeps, so, in his backyard, so, he is is quite a guy, and... uh, if if you're interested in talking to him about if you're you're having problems with PTSD and and can't sleep at night, well, and it doesn't matter whether it's Vietnam or and or it can be a first responder, uh, uh, EMT or policeman, or whatever. Uh, but I'll be glad to get him in touch with you, and uh, you all can go from there. But well, that sounds good. It is, and it's, uh, you know, it, it's 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 proven, and it's and even uh, it's uh, has the uh, what can I say the acknowledgement of Harvard and and endorsed by Harvard and so forth medical school, and uh, the VA has given him just all sorts of problems with it, but uh, he's working on it and is going to change it and. Uh, he lives here in Georgia, and uh, but you can be whoever's listening from anywhere. If you're suffering from PTSD and can't sleep at night, well, uh, he can help you. So, how many? Uh, you know, I guess every war's had its PTSD at one time or the other, and it's been named different things. But, and I, I guess. In, I looked at it sort of, I don't know, cynically, I guess, but war is, there, there's no good war, and there's no nice war of fighting it or anything else. But I guess Vietnam was probably one of the first wars that showed the true, what man can do to another man. That Well, it was, it was really up close and personal. I mean, there really were no front lines. Every place was a front line. Yeah. You know, I went through uh, 
basic in AIT in Fort Ord and jungle training and all that stuff. Do you think we were, do you feel like you were really prepared for Vietnam? No, no, because the, well, the first time I went, uh, I, I, you know, you really can't prepare because every day is a new day. And, that, you know, as you got better, they did too. As you've got more clever, so did they. So there was, they had fewer things to use, but they were ingenious in how they used it. So, you know, I, I don't think psychologically uh, people were prepared for the endeavors of the eat. And, uh, you know, uh, even just eating. I mean, I mentioned that several times, but, you know, a lot of times guys in some of those fire bases had sea rations days on end, and after a while, eating out of the can gets old. Mm-hmm. It gets depressing, and it's hot, and, you know, mail gets slow. So, you know, how, I'm not sure how to prepare people for things like that. Yeah, you made a good point, too, that uh, the Vietnam or Vietnamese were very clever in utilizing what we thought was trash. And, uh, oh, yeah. You know, we'd leave a, a, a law behind or some, uh, uh, we'd, a used law, which is a self-propelled, basically a, a small bazooka, as they would used to call them. Yeah. But a rocket a launcher. A, yeah, a tube with a rocket in it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they would turn around and use them for mortars. And, uh, you know, we'd, we would... I guess I guess Vietnam, if it taught the military anything, was a utilization of policing the area after before you left, and um, they would take our our sea uh, ration cans and uh, turn them into uh, IEDs, yeah, booby, booby, yeah, booby traps. They take the top of the sea can lid and turn it into a triggering device. So, so they, they were good. But, you know, if you think about it, uh, Americans on necessity, you can talk to any farmer, he can fix anything with a baiting wire. Well, that's <laughs> what the Vietnamese were. Yep. And, uh, you know, uh, necessity is the mother of inventions, I guess. Exactly. And uh, you, you struck close at heart when you said farmers... That's what, I was a farmer for a number of years, and uh, and I, I was proud of my baling wire and my uh, welding skills. That's right. Yeah, you know, if you don't have a car to pin, use a nail. That's right. Um, so, when you think back on it, what, is there one or two instances that come to mind almost all the time? I, I guess though that probably the toward the middle of my second tour that that was my I call it my tough year and um, we were you know that was after uh, after the Tet Offensive what we call the Spring uh, Uprising which we call the Tet Two it was after that we worked on the border I mean it was it was pretty darn rough and uh, you know we, when we went out there we passed went up these old roads to the jungle toward the border. And occasionally, by the side of the road, just see an old burned-out French tank or French armored car, and you knew things weren't going to be good that day. And that, if I think of anything, it's that. 
uh, I think more of the brotherhood I form of those guys, how much I love them. And uh, probably veterans only can understand uh, brotherhood that much, but uh, I'd love to think more of brotherhood, but occasionally when you're sitting in the quiet and certain situations, you think about that. You say, well, heck, you know, and that rib line could be a, a mortar position or a trench position or a VC. And I joked my wife, I, I go to the restaurant, I said, I got to sit to the wall because the VC might come in the front door. And I had to stop doing that. She thought I was serious, but. You know, we always, were you married when you were in Nome? Uh, well, I wasn't the first time. I came home uh, uh, on leave. My wife lived next door to my mother. I met her. Nine days later, I married and went back to Vietnam. Wow. Now We've that been was... together since, since 1967, so... That was, a, that was quick. That was quick, but... I tell people it's the only girl that dated me twice in a row, so I had to have her. <laughs> well, you know, she deployed with you at a very young oh, yeah. age as well, obviously. Oh, and, yeah, my kids, they were drug them around the world. They turned out well. One uh, was an attorney. He's a retired Navy uh, commander, and the other one's uh, in Florida. He's a retired Army officer, so kids did good. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you for their service. That's... Uh, that speaks highly of you and your wife, very highly. And this this is uh, this is what people that have never served don't get a grasp of is how the families are serving as well, whether they're in country with you or if you're in a hot zone, then obviously the family's not there with you. But at least. At least the communications has changed for today. I, uh, my dad was in World War II, and you know he would. The only only communications he had with my mother was through the mail. And if you think the mail was bad, if you think the mail's bad today, back then, you know, uh, a month, month and a half to find out what's happening at home, or are you still alive and well and wherever you are, you know? And um, I I just, the family serve just as a person is that's serving. You know, and that, that's very true. I was thinking about that, but the military really is a family life. Uh, uh, it's a reunion I'm at now. Uh, a couple of people have passed away. The guys, but the wives still come because they, we're their family, we're their connection to their loved ones. Uh, and the military base, when you go to a new base, everybody jumps in. They bring you pots, pans, food to yours. Get there, and I found civilian life. They don't do that. Nope. I mean, you might have a welcome wagon in some neighborhoods, but overall, uh, you know, if you move in, you move in. But military, they're there to help you because they've been there. They know how it is. And that's one thing I do miss. Well, this is, you know, something that, uh, again, civilians or those that have never served can't appreciate. And I guess really the first uh, first hit was Desert Shield. But, you know, as a reservist, 
you raise your hand just like the person that goes on active duty. And as we've seen now with Desert Shield and Desert Storm, you can be called up any time. And oh, yeah. There's a big difference between being regular Army and having why your wife is friends with another and everybody understands what everybody's going through and deployments. But when you're a reservist and you get called up, your neighbor doesn't understand that what you're going through, you know, and what a call up is. And uh, we've encouraged if you have a neighbor that's a reservist and he's he or she is called up, then take care of the spouse and the family that's left behind, you know. And uh, one thing that they don't realize is that uh, that the guy the employees. That family gets the same amount of money, but but the wife and the kids have to stay back and maintain this household with less money because he's got to have something. I mean, they don't give him everything, so even the income level of, of living level of living uh, drops. There's less available resources because it's been split now. Yes, sir, and. This is what we try to get across on all of our shows is that, you know, it's um, people just need to be educated and educated about the facts of, of uh, you know, what's what happens when someone's deployed and what happens when somebody returns. And there's a we, we run um, spots. In fact, we'll be running one at the end of the show about uh, warriors to citizens and it's the reacclimation of someone that's come back from a war zone and things have changed uh, and it and they have to be reacclimated to civilian life mowing the grass doing this doing that and uh and if they have been in the situations that have, you know, caused PTSD or whatever they might be suffering from, it could just be some kind of weird parasite, for all we know. But anyway, they need help. And there are organizations, and the Disabled American Veterans Association is helps tremendously and there are other service organizations and we want to point out to the people too that you know i've been going through some stuff uh with the va and it's amazing veterans don't know all the benefits that are out there for them and if you're a veteran and you're not in a service organization go to a service organization and ask for the service officer and let them help you or Call your local VA. And if the veterans don't know about it, think about that wife or that son or daughter. They know nothing about the benefits that they may have from your service. Yeah, uh, recently I've had the, I guess, unfortunate duty of helping the uh, widows of uh, servicemen who passed away. If you serve, keep a folder with your paperwork. You, you may know where it is, but when you're not there, your family may not. And I've seen wives that were uh, entitled to resources, but they couldn't get it because they couldn't find that one piece of paper. There's 214. 
DD214. That's right. Let me about your disability. They've got to have that to continue to survive. Well, you know, we were one of the big one or the station that really brought it to the to the front, and and it helped. And evidently, our phone calls to uh, our legislature legislators helped. But um, you know, in 1973, our national archives, our rec- our personnel records, many of them were lost in a fire in St. Louis, and they've reopened it and. Uh, I say they reopened it. They have now, but uh, they reopened it, and then they closed it again in March of 2020 because of the coronavirus. And it had been shut down for over a year. And if you were uh, in desperate need of your 201 file or your DD-214, and it's the government's responsibility to have those for you if you're a veteran, and if you needed any other of your service records, it's the government's duty to have those so you can get the benefits. And I've had many unfortunate go-arounds with the uh, National Archives on that, where they have said, well, we can't help you unless this is a medical emergency, and then it'll pay, take up to 30 to 90 days. That's baloney. People served, and they're due their benefits. And the uh, personnel records, they're your records. They're not the government's records, but the government is the caretaker of those records. And you should have access to your medical records, your, your, your uh, service history, any and everything. And everybody should bitch to their representative or their senators about the poor job that the archive folks are doing to help veterans. You know, for them, that's uh, they're on their eight to five job. Well, you, that's your life. And they fail to remember that. Yep. And then to shut down for a year, you know, that's. And yet, they got their salary every month. That's exactly right. And when you can't get your records, I have found from experience over the past six months that if you can't get your records, you're dead in the water. And you know what? I've uh, I've talked myself into that we've, we're going to have to close this out. I've... I've enjoyed it again, Marshall. You're you're a heck of a guest. One quick question: Will you come back? I will. Now I'm gonna remind people: the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame recommend your friends and neighbors. Absolutely, and uh, and I wouldn't mind if uh, they said something nice about the shows and the shows shows that we do on America's Web Radio. We try to hit a lot of folks. And uh, and take care of our veterans. Well, really, I thank you for your service and the service that you're providing now. Well, thank you, sir. And uh, we'll be back with more. Stay tuned for uh, our health care show 
following a couple of messages. Marshall, thank you. Have a good day, and uh, we'll be in touch very shortly. Thank you, and God bless America. Amen. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.